Hey everyone, just a warning that today's episode explores blood. You might have already guessed given the name of the episode, but just thought we'd add a disclaimer in case any of you are queasy. Okay, on to the show. I don't know about you, but I really love quickies. They're just so convenient, hot, and you guessed it, quick. Some of us have had quickies in the morning before getting ready to work or in a public restroom. Maybe not the germaphobes that listen to the show, but come on, a lot of us have had quickies in the bathroom. But if I had to guess, I'd say most of us quickie-in-the-bathroom perverts have never had a blood quickie before. Yes, I said blood quickie. We were actually at my parents' house and decided we'd sneak off into the bathroom for a quickie, which... I think is a statement that most people can like understand and and be like, oh yeah, I've done that if it's just regular sex. But if it's like, oh, I'm just going to get some blood out of you with a hypodermic needle, people are kind of like, no. She actually uh, blew through the vein, just put the needle in too far. And uh, so nobody got blood, but it was just like, yeah, do not do blood play until <laughs> you have, you, you got, you know, no pressure, no rush, um, not parents waiting downstairs. <laughs> this is How I Fuck, and I'm your host, Natalie Rivera. Vampires, blood, medieval role-playing. These are just some of Raven's favorite sexual things. Raven, who you just heard from right now, is an author of vampire novels and a lover of all things gothic and dark, which makes sense given the home she grew up in. Why was there a cemetery in your backyard? I lived in a historic town in New England, and you couldn't fit, like, all the living people in without kind of stuffing them in next to the dead ones, so... (laughs) Raven Belasco does look like someone who had a cemetery in her backyard growing up, and I do not mean that in a bad way. Not at all. Frankly, I am a bit envious of Raven's style and her name. I mean, who wouldn't be? Raven's parents were publishers, so she grew up around a lot of books. Some of those books were kid-friendly. A lot of them weren't. There was a science fiction book I got my hands on that I remember it just shocked me so much that I was like, you know what, even as a child, like, I know that this is a bit much and I'm just going to put this book down. It was somebody getting impaled through the anus with a stake. It was like in the first chapter and, and I was just reading it and I was just like, hmm, you know, I didn't need this in my head and we're closing this book and we're putting this down. While Raven did put down books where things like anal violence came into play, most of the books she picked up, she'd finish reading. She was a bookworm, a horny bookworm. There was a book called The Cave Twins, where one of the twins was naughty and got a spanking. And I was like, oh, you know, and I thought I was being really subtle. I put this little tiny piece of like pipe cleaner in at that page you know, and then figured, you know, if my parents found it, I'd be like, I don't know how the piece of pipe cleaner got there. It's definitely not a bookmark that I would put in the book at all. But it wasn't just books that had this effect on her. The earliest fantasies I remember having, I actually called them the spanking monsters. And they had these big hands and they'd pick me up and do things to me. Pretty sure that was influenced by a Porky Pig cartoon where he gets caught in a, like he's in this machine and he's having a nightmare that he's being force fed and stuff like that. And so that helplessness really spoke to me. And then there was some episodes of Tom and Jerry that just really sparked my kinky little developing brain. 
While her imagination was filled with sexual fantasies throughout her early adolescence, she didn't have sex until she got to high school. She had penetrative sex for the first time at 15. She didn't waste any time after that. I was a big old horn dog, and which is usually a term used for men, I think, in the society, but I definitely was as annoying as any teenage boy. My friends got super tired of listening to me talk about how much I wanted to have sex. And they found a guy who was likewise annoying. And they said, okay, you two, go off into that room and don't come out until you can shut up. Raven and this guy didn't go to a room to have sex, actually. They did it outside in the woods as a sort of safety measure. So from reading too much, especially like, you know, weird Victorian shit like Dracula, <laughs> uh, I had this notion that there was going to be like when I lost my virginity, there was going to just be blood everywhere, you know, and uh, I was quite concerned about how to take care of that in a way that my parents didn't see it. So my boyfriend and I went to go have sex in the great outdoors. So I, we needed something to lie down on. So I, there was actually an old shower curtain in the house. So I got the old shower curtain in the idea that it could just easily be rinsed off from the, you know, copious blood that would then spew forth from my pricked maiden head. Uh, <laughs> there was no blood. That's because breaking the hymen isn't always an indicator that someone had sex for the first time. The whole popping my cherry is a concept that has been debunked by experts, but might have been embedded in our minds when we were younger, myself included. Raven's first time awakened her sexuality in a profound way. By the age of 17, my friends were actually giving me books about kinky sex and being like, yeah, you're a big old pervert. So I, I know for my 17th birthday, one of my friends gave me Anne Rice's Exit from Eden. And one of my partners in high school gave me Sasha Massock's Venus and Furs. Then it was like, just switch over to fully getting into like the basic principles of BDSM, the early writers of it. So I was headed in that direction, whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> in goth most of high school, Raven spent more and more time reading vampire literature. This was around the time when vampire worlds created by Anne Rice were gaining popularity, and more writers were feeling inspired to create their own vampire stories. I'm not too familiar with vampire books, unfortunately, so I'm just curious. What, what is it about it? What, what is it about the vampire genre? What about it attracts you to it? The power exchange is the, the, the thing. It's the same as the spanking monsters. Um, that I had as a, a, you know, when I was young, when you're with a vampire, you are not in control of the situation. You know, this is a being that is way more powerful than you, you know, older than you. And they may have like powers like mesmerism or something like that, where you're even more out of control. So I think that must have been what drew me to it initially. And then in the Victorian era, they couldn't just put sex scenes in books the way we do now. So they actually had vampires that it, they, vampires became so popular because uh, they were able to penetrate a, a male vampire could penetrate a woman with fangs instead of his penis. Nowadays, we don't have to have a stand in for sex. So vampires can just be really sexy. It's not just, you know, the biting anymore. They can be biting and fucking at the same time. So all the penetration. 
While Raven had a couple of experiences with rough sex in high school, it was limited to some restraint and amateur rope bondage. She wanted to learn more. Thankfully, there was college. I went to UMass in Amherst. There was a group. They would bring in experts for classes and they'd be like, okay, you've all tied each other up. Here's how to do it right. Raven learned a lot and was finally having the dominant, submissive sex she had dreamt about since she was young. Still, she had a thirst for something different. The minute that I started having there be bondage and spanking, there was like, oh, there's sharp things. There could be blood. Before I ask you the technicalities of, I guess, what you did sexually, I kind of want you to explain what blood play is. Is it like an umbrella term? Are there different types of ways you can practice blood play? It is absolutely an umbrella term. You can just like to see blood, to to smell it, to have the excitement of knowing that, you know, your partner has let you actually open up their skin and trusted you that much. Uh, cutting someone to drink their blood is very much within that blood play, play umbrella. But then, and, you know, yet again, we might be having to go back to blame those vampires um, or else just a primal sense of the the power of blood, there are people who definitely want to get, you know, their mouths on it. Blood fetish, or hematolinia, doesn't always involve cutting. But when it does, partners are extremely encouraged to be precautious in their methods. This means maybe taking a course in knife play, which some BDSM communities offer, depending on your area. This also means sterilizing instruments, getting tested for any infections and diseases, and drawing from safer areas where they don't have veins or arteries, like forearms or thighs. You can also get a partner who's a nurse. Okay, that last one isn't official advice from any expert, but it's what Raven did, by chance. You know, she'd been trained to draw blood. She could just get right into a vein, take out a bit of blood, close that wound back up. So we were able to do that really quickly and easily. It had, it still had all the power of cutting with a knife or, you know, some like a razor blade or whatever. Just, just the complete lack of scarring was a real attraction. Their first time with drawing blood was that quickie we talked about in the beginning of the episode. You know, the one in the bathroom. It was a bust. Her girlfriend blew through the vein and put the needle in too far, so no blood was drawn. But the first time they successfully drew blood is a whole other story. What did you both do with the blood once once it was drawn? What she did was raise the syringe up above her mouth, hit the plunger, and dramatically squirt the blood down, down her throat, uh, swallow it, lick her lips, and, uh, and then we probably proceeded to spend uh, the rest of the night fucking. When you saw her do that, when you saw her just like, drink your blood in front of you how how did you feel in that moment i mean i'm i could get poetic but horny is the word <laughs> you know around you're just completely like soaking wet and ready you know like i had given a a gift of submission and an actual physical gift of you know a precious bodily fluid and you know after that i was just you know take me watching her take the blood from my body, watching her consume it, to kiss her and say, that's my blood in her mouth. That, you know, ultimate uh, erotic moment. Raven had tasted her own blood before, so kissing her girlfriend with her blood on her mouth wasn't anything extremely new, but it was still arousing. Also, she had tasted her girlfriend's blood before. A different kind of blood. Menstrual blood 
is is it's gonna sound gross but deader you know it's been kind of sitting around down there for a while so it's i i guess one could say it's an acquired taste but you're gonna be getting like you're mostly going to be getting it if you make her orgasm you know and get the muscles to squeeze nicely so any evidence to me that i've made a partner come you know that's good for me if i end up having you know getting covered in a bit of menstrual blood and then having to take a shower afterwards like you know, it's, it's really not a problem for me. <laughs> period blood is definitely under the blood play umbrella, but not everyone who enjoys period sex necessarily likes blood play. But still, the playing with period blood, whether tasting it or rubbing it around somebody's body or yourself, is definitely kinky for some, including Raven. I think maybe once we, we actually got into drinking blood, menstrual blood took on an extra value because it was it was blood you could access without actually having to you know use a knife or a needle or anything like that it was kind of a, a freebie you know there was there was one time i made her come really hard and she ejaculated and there was you know the, there was blood in the ejaculate and it was just like this fountain of blood coming out of her and it was one of the most beautiful powerful things i've ever seen i didn't even have my mouth down there anymore because she'd been bucking around and just this gush of beautiful blood came out and i was just like wow <laughs> you know like i'm in this incredible moment and i just have to like sit back and be amazed by the beauty of the female body and what it can do you know, I can only imagine a vampire would have enjoyed that that visual as well, although perhaps more actively. Okay, so here's the deal with period blood. There isn't that much research on what drinking period blood will do to you, though certified OBGYN Dr. Felice Gersh told Well and Good that she recommends not getting period blood in your mouth since there's a risk of passing blood-borne pathogens like HIV. Of course, there's always the option of you and your partner getting tested and trusting that both of you are being responsible. And then there's drinking blood that isn't menstrual, which also carries some risk. Drinking a lot of blood can lead to an excess intake of iron, which can be toxic. Raven and her girlfriend wouldn't draw too much blood, just enough to taste it and arouse them. While we, as a podcast, aren't sex experts, this is what we found in our research, and we ask that you please speak to a professional before engaging in any blood play. Raven and her girlfriend dated for 10 years. Raven considered herself the bottom in the relationship. Her girlfriend, naturally, was the top. Their relationship was polyamorous, so they had other partners. In that time, they engaged in a lot of role play with each other. Some of it included blood, some did not. If you can come up with a kinky scenario, I, we probably did it. I'm like a, a witch in medieval times calling up a demon who then decides to take my blood for various demonic purposes, like you do, then we're not going to use a hypodermic needle because they haven't been invented yet. You know, demons are so much more likely uh, to use a knife, I feel. Uh, <laughs> so it was, it wasn't, it wasn't preference in, oh, now I feel like a needle. Now I feel like a knife. It was sort of like, oh, the fantasy that we're role-playing today calls for one thing or, or another. We did have some fun sort of playing with the idea of like a deity coming down and wanting a blood sacrifice. Those would be good. And that would, that would definitely be another knife scene, but yeah, there was no time in history that, that was safe from, from our eroticizing it like horrific things from the past to turn into great BDSM scenes, you know, Salem witch trials. Oh yeah. Raven's relationship ended for the same reason most relationships do. They grew apart. 
They both learned and explored so much during their time together, but now it was time to move on with new partners and old ones. The great thing about Polly is that 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 whole time we had had other lovers often shared, but, you know, some on our own. And so when she and I broke up, I actually had another partner whose arms I could console myself in. Um, and it might not have been that same level of intensity, but it helps. <laughs> um, I can see I could see how, you know, a monogamous person like going from a relationship and then being like, oh, my God, how do I find another that would be really stressful. So I'm, I'm glad I gave up on monogamy when I was 17. <laughs> Raven continued doing blood play with partners after her and her girlfriend broke up, but it wasn't the same. It's difficult to find someone you trust that you can be fluidly bonded with. I haven't found a partner who has been so completely aligned with my kinks or like they they might have been aligned with my kinks but we weren't in a place where we could have that that depth of uh, relationship like i said it's rare to find someone like that i've had great relationships since then i i've definitely had people who've drunk my blood and i haven't i haven't really done any blood paintingy kind of things uh, in a long time. And I, you know, now that you're saying that, I feel like it's a lack in my life and I have to fix it. While Raven hasn't played with blood as much as she did in that relationship, her fascination with dark, sensual themes carried over from the bedroom to the bookshelf once again. So talk to me about your writing, because you mentioned that you've written some books. And so what are they about? What are you exploring? The The other really big relationship in my life was ending as I started writing the first book, and it was definitely escapism from that. It actually was inspired by a dream I had. I dreamt a sex scene from the first book, like completely perfect, all written out in my head. And when I woke up, I actually knew all about the characters. And so I just was like, okay, well, I've wanted to be a writer. I've known I'm going to write a novel. I thought I was going to start with science fiction, but apparently I'm starting with vampires now. Raven's books include scenes where vampires drink blood. But surprisingly, or unsurprisingly, in Raven's world, that's not the only thing her vampires are after. In this universe that I've created, they actually really prefer to mix sex and blood drinking. You can you can have just blood drinking for like healing, you know, if you're in like a really desperate situation. But actually, you know, if if you're going to actually enjoy the activity, you know, the vampires are it's it's inextricable from sex which gives me an excellent excuse to write plenty of sex scenes. You know, just like the Victorians were using uh, sex for, you know, uh, vampires drinking blood to stand in for sex. I can't, I can't really untie blood drinking from sex. So I don't think I could have written a, an asexual vampire, really. You know, I could definitely have other characters that are asexual, but vampires to me are just, you know, running around looking for their next drink and fuck. What's vampire sex like in your world? with your characters? I am delighted you asked that question because their systems have to be so really tight with, you know, they're not getting, they're not draining a whole human. So every little drop of blood counts. They're processing that blood really efficiently. So they're not creating other bodily fluids from it. So when a vampire comes, they come blood. I've actually, I've, I left that in there for, for fun, basically just because it, it, amused me but they don't cry they don't sweat they're they're being hyper efficient it's amazing 
for one reason, you know, vampires have been living long enough to get quite good at it. But then drinking blood actually gets them, it's kind of like a drug for them. It's not just food. It makes you feel really good. When you mix intoxicants and sex, you can often have a very nice time. And so that's actually one reason why my protagonist decides to go ahead with some rather dubious choices, because the sex is amazing. It's like, you know, she's never had anything that good before. And there are, you know, plenty of downsides to being a vampire. So really great sex seems like, like an upside I felt like writing in. Uh, you know, if you're if you're going to not be able to go out during daylight hours and, you know, you're going to have like a whole host of other, you know, issues that, that humans don't have to deal with, you could, you know, at least at least you get good sex. OK, so vampires come as blood. Uh, does the vampire come inside a human? In in one scene, uh, I have her giving him a blowjob. So actually, she's drinking his blood and then. Uh, then there's a, I like to, to try and work a bit of humor into these books. So there's just one scene where she wakes up in the wet spot. That's so awesome. Uh, what are the names of your books again? Blood Ex Libris and Blood Sine Qua Non. Amazing. And I know you're, you're working on a third, right? Yes, uh, that will come out at the end of April and will be Blood Ad Infinitum. Whoever's listening, please go check out her books, buy her books, consider buying her books. Raven, thank you so much again for speaking with me. I really appreciate it. Where can people find you if you want to be found, of course? Yes, I do want to be found because I very much would like people to buy my books, please. Uh, uh, So the website is ravenbelas.co. Uh, but the easiest thing is to just type Raven Belasco into Twitter and you'll get taken to any of my social media or my website. Thank you for listening to How I Fuck. If you like our podcast, give us a rating, leave us a review, tell a friend, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Also, if you have a micro penis and would like to be interviewed for the show, email us at hello at howifuckpodcast.com. That's how I fuck without the U, so F-C-K. Or you can send us a DM on Instagram or Twitter. Our handles are How I Fuck Podcast. That's How I Fuck without the U. So F C K. We also have a website, HowIFuckPodcast.com. Again, without the U. There you can find all of our episodes, as well as show notes, transcriptions, sources, and photos. How I Fuck is produced by me, Natalie Rivera. I'm also the host and creator. Ben Quiles is our audio engineer. Cheyenne Lopez did copy and fact check. Original music by Miguel Gutierrez. You can find more of his music online under the artist's name, Mag. Gabriela Sanchez is our social media manager, and our sponsorship manager is Muna Kolobali. Until next time. <laughs>